Okay, so we tried. We really tried to wrap this all up into one episode. But it's just, it's impossible. We love these movies too much. We may even end up doing two episodes for each of these <laughs> these three movies. I don't know that we have to. I think we could probably we could probably wrap five up in one episode. I bet I can do five in one episode. Six, I don't know if I could do six in one episode though. Yeah. Um, but and I certainly can't do four in one episode. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna end up splitting this up into a part one and a part two. So uh, what you either will be listening to or have listened to, depending upon where I put this, will be part one. Of our episode on Halloween right. for the return of Michael Myers. Um, we appreciate you hanging in there with us. We hope that you love the movie as much as we do and that you will uh, get super excited by the fact that we're going to dedicate two episodes to uh, this film. Um, so on that. I know I'm excited. <laughs> feel these nipples. <laughs> you can cut glass with them. <laughs> so on that note, we're going to say, hey, thanks for listening. Whether you are about to listen or have listened, we don't know. <laughs> when will then be now? <laughs> now. Adventures in time and space told in future tense. All radio is dead. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Look, there comes one of them now. Welcome. I'm Kyle. I'm Brad. And risen from the coffin, we are the Nosferadudes. <laughs> Still not doing it. <laughs> hey, and we're back again. Fourth episode, fourth time's the charm. And we're here. So our first two episodes, we talked about Halloween 1978 and Halloween 2. And then we had to split it into two episodes and talk about uh, Halloween H2O and Halloween Resurrection and kind of finish off that uh, that Jamie Lee Curtis, Laurie Strode story arc get that out of the way get that out of the way and then we took a break and we did once bitten and fright night which i think we had lots of fun with um and that's probably what we're gonna do we're gonna we're gonna kind of when we have these big long franchise productions um we're gonna we're gonna kind of get through these nice big chunks of stuff over multiple episodes and then we'll take like a little diversion a little vacation a little vacay from the franchise stuff but this week we're back and continuing with the Halloween theme, we are starting to talk about the Thorn Trilogy and all the magic that is contained within. Um, but this yes, time we we're going we're gonna to take it nice and easy. We're going to split it up and we're going to do today's episode is specifically about Halloween 4. Because being that, we are both agreed that this is our favorite arc of Halloween, other than Halloween 1978 as a standalone film. Um, we want to get into the meat and potatoes of this stuff and really bore down in. 
So Well, this is our meat and potatoes. This is our meat right? and potatoes. We hope you're entertained. <laughs> you might be bored to tears. <laughs> well, what I mean is for, for you and I, uh, with the Halloween series, the Thorn trilogy is our meat and potatoes. For yeah. other people, the original Halloween movie might have been their meat and potatoes. This David Gordon Green trilogy might have been their meat and potatoes. But for us... It's it's the Mark of Thorn trilogy. For yeah, sure. because you're talking, um, gosh, what, 1988? We are, what, nine years nine. old? You know, nine. so we're we're right in that zone of of where a horror movie is going to come out and grab us. You know, right? Um, you're right in that age, going going into nine, ten years old, where you start. You know, you stay up a little late during like a summer night when there's no school and you think your parents don't know that you're staying up late too yeah yeah and but you, they know and you get on the hbo <laughs> and they've yeah. got halloween four playing right so yeah so we're gonna we're gonna split this up we're gonna do halloween four and then we're gonna do the next episode will be five and then the episode after that will be curse of michael myers and um, and then we'll take another little short break, and then we'll get into something completely different. So, <laughs> but today Sounds is good. today is Halloween for the return of Michael Myers. Yes, came out in 1988, directed by Dwight Little. Now, the return of Michael Myers is important. Why is he returning? <laughs> returning from what? What could he be returning from, Kyle? Michael took a sabbatical. <laughs> he took a he took a, ho- a couple Halloweens off. Yeah, he took a little sabbatical, and um, and they decided to do season of the witch. John Carpenter, John Carpenter. Um, I mean, with with almost anything else, it probably would have been maybe a good idea. Um, he wanted to kind of turn it into an anthology series. You know, he he grew up watching Twilight Zone and all this other stuff, and he thought, wouldn't it be fun and cool and mostly fun for him like he was you know he's like okay this is a guy that like cuts up teenagers like i've kind of told that story (laughs) so where do i go from here but too late right so so my whole problem with and i'm not gonna go off on a rant here uh, because we're talking about halloween four and this is going to be my favorite episode so i'm not going to bring it down but I'm not going to go off on a rant about Halloween 3, but he already made two movies with Michael Myers. Had he just done the original Halloween and then come out with a different story for Halloween 2, then okay, you can continue the franchise as that anthology series. But you started off with two movies that were big, box office-wise. Right. They were really big with Michael Myers in them. So you will, with the second one, you cemented Michael Myers as the centerpiece of your franchise. Yeah. So now to go back and go, well, now we're just going to rip the rug out from underneath you guys. And, and that's kind of how I saw it. You know, he's like, okay, well, you know, you guys got used to Michael Myers. You love Michael Myers. We did two movies with Michael Myers and now we're going to, we're going to change it up. Yeah, and that's if, pretty... If he had just done that after the first one, I don't think it would have been as big of a deal. 
Yeah, and that's pretty much how, you know, the audience seemed to see it, because the response to Season of the Witch was uh, lukewarm at best, you know, at that time. I mean... It's not now, though. (laughs) Yeah, I think it's... There's a streak within the horror fan community of being... um, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Being... (laughs) What was that? Absurd. (laughs) Well, it's sort of like... Ridiculous. Contrarian. Contrarian. That's the word I'm looking for, to be contrarian curmudgeons. And, right. deci- and decide that um, what has been kind of critically bashed is all of a sudden the, the best thing in the world and it's the thing you love the most. And they have just sunk their teeth in. And if you badmouth Season of the Witch, you're badmouthing Tom Atkins, which I 100% disagree with and get very animated about and angry about. <laughs> And I've gone back and forth with some of our fellow mutants in the <laughs> Joe Bob collective there in the in Facebook. Um, I love Tom Atkins. I love Tom Atkins as an actor. I love all the other stuff he's been in. Oh, The Fog. I, the Fog is like one of my all-time favorites. One of the greats. But that doesn't make up for Season of the Witch in its entirety. So you can't you can't do that because that's the only thing they come at me. Oh, well, you don't like Tom Atkins. No, I love Tom Atkins. I just don't like Season of the Witch. Yeah. And and there's something to be said for um, the fact that I think I think if they hadn't put Halloween in front of it, if they had just called it Season of the Witch, it would have been a serviceable mid-level horror movie. You know, if they had just put it out as a horror movie, like a 1980s horror movie, it would have done okay. Um, right. but the fact that they tacked Halloween onto the front of it, I think that was what burnt everybody because they went in expecting to see Michael Myers and they got some completely different story. And then like that weird little insert on a TV of Michael Myers and, you know, saying, Oh, well, here's your, here's here. It, it's a movie in this universe. <laughs> right. It's just a movie. Um, right. so anyway, so that's what we'll say about season of the witch. <laughs> yes, let's please get on because there's a whole. Are we going to do an episode about season of the oh, witch? Oh yeah, yeah, we absolutely will. We okay, so then we'll, I'll I'll just save everything for them. So, but it's called the Return of Michael Myers. A because of season of the witch, and B because uh, uh, back to Halloween four. Back to Halloween four, and uh, B because of the fact that Mustafa Akkad, the producer of the Halloween uh, franchise. He specifically was like, hey, we messed up. <laughs> and he was like, the, the Michael Myers puts butts in the seats. And so we're going to make it clear in the title when this movie yes. comes out that Michael Myers is in this movie. <laughs> so it's called Return of Michael Myers. He's like, I need people to show up to the theater to watch this film to make my money back. Michael Myers. <laughs> I love the way you said that, though. Michael Myers is in this movie. <laughs> and another another wonderful thing that they were able to do was get... Um, they couldn't get Jamie Lee Curtis back. She wanted nothing to do with it. Um, part right. of that was what we'll get into uh, is how John Carpenter ended up exiting uh, the, the project and the franchise. And really, if Carpenter wasn't there, she didn't want to be there. 
Um, but they did get Donald Pleasance to come back as Dr. Sam Loomis because at this point, you've got the monster. You have to have Victor Frankenstein chasing him down. You know, you have to Van Helsing it up a little bit and make sure that he's got a, a great protagonist uh, there. So, um, and, and, that's, and that's part of why we love this trilogy so much, right? Oh, absolutely. Be- it begins to build his arc. Right. It, it really um, takes the focus off of Laurie now uh, because she's not in it. And now you're focused primarily on Loomis and Donald Pleasance. We've talked about it in the first couple episodes. You know, he, he was such a great actor. And the Mark of Thorn trilogy is really, you know, where um, you get to see that development of, like you said, that that character arc now. Uh, now he's starting to change. Now there's there's a lot more going on, and we'll we'll talk about it. But um, yeah, but yeah, that's that's really what anchors this is Donald Pleasance and and his character of Loomis. Yeah, yeah, big time, big time. Um, and so, but the the sort of centerpiece uh, of the whole thing is the character of Jamie Lloyd, played by uh, Danielle Harris. It's her first major film. She's just a little kid. Uh, in these movies, and she was her character was named Jamie Lloyd because they wanted to do a little homage to Jamie Lee Curtis, so right. that's why her first name is Jamie. Um, and you get uh, one of the other sort of major character in the film is her adoptive older sister Rachel Carruthers, played by Ellie Cornell. Um, but you get uh, some great performances. You get some great actors in this. They got Bo Star as Sheriff Ben Meeker. He, I think he's our favorite sheriff. He Ben's is our favorite sheriff because Ben Meeker don't fucking play. <laughs> no, he does not. I mean, and, Kyle, aliens could land on old Ben's doorstep, <laughs> and all he'd do is spit once and get himself a shotgun. <laughs> that's right. That's right, Earl. Right. <laughs> um, and we get uh, Sasha Jensen as the the boyfriend Brady. Um, for people of our age, Sasha Jensen would also be well known from Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the film. Dazed and confused. And dazed no? and confused, right? Thank you. Right, Sasha Jensen. He, he's he's a he's a good serviceable. A few, a few years later. Yeah, he, was, that was five years later. Yeah. He never really starred in in uh, this was like I think the, one of the closest movies that he like really starred in. The other movies he was in, he was you know it's always a secondary character or an ensemble character. Um, and then you get uh, Kelly Meeker, played by the irresistible <laughs> Kathleen Kinmont. Yep. Cops do it by the book. <laughs> a, a staple of our teen years. <laughs> and an honorable mention uh, goes to Reverend Jackson P. Sayer, played by <gasps> played <gasps> by a character actor. I, I honestly, I, I failed to look up what else he was in, but I mean, the guy's face, like... You would recognize him almost immediately, like if you've seen movies, he's popped up. I'm sure in in some movies, especially like he's 70s. been in a ton of stuff. Yeah, seventies, eighties. He he was a, a kind of a a known character actor. Uh, Carmen Filpi. Uh, he was in an episode of Growing Pains. I can remember this, where he played. Uh, Mike Seaver paid him as a homeless, he played a homeless person who he paid 
to represent uh, Boston University or Boston College or whatever uh, to full Alan Thicke's character into thinking <laughs> that Mike got into Boston College. It was this great episode of Growing Pain. Yeah, Carmen Philby tended to usually play either like, you know, like a down and out type character or he usually played a bum he, he played some version yeah. of a bum a bum a hobo i believe a, a wino i believe you know, carmen you know. philpy is um i may be wrong but i think in uh peewee's uh big adventure i think he's the hobo he on is. the train yeah he is. he is the hobo when they're singing on the train yeah, yeah jimmy crack yeah no that's totally him yes that's absolutely so that'll give you an idea of carmen filpy's background he's 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 great right. he's great you remember yep. him in almost anything you've seen him in and in this movie uh it's he the best one of the oh i mean for such a small role right i mean he did not have a lot of screen time right it's like he it's like no more than one scene three minutes he just had the one Right. And he had one scene and he created a character that became one of my favorites in the entire series. Yeah. In all the Halloween movies, think of all the Halloween movies combined. He, Mr. Sayer is. Yeah. Reverend Sayer. Yep. Yep. (laughs) And, um, and of course, uh, Michael Myers in this, um, there were, there were two, you know, kind of in, in many of these, there end up being like a couple different guys behind the mask. Um, there was like a guy named Tom Morga that had a couple of scenes behind the mask, but the main Michael Myers, and this is of course George P. Wilbur, um, who I believe is your by far your favorite Michael Myers, uh, 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 just under Nick Castle. <laughs> yeah, because my favorite Michael Myers is surely Nick Castle. Um, but yes, there no one has played him better besides Nick Castle than George P. Wilbur for sure. For right. absolute sure. Um, Which is why they used him twice. And aside from James Courtney, is he the only one? Oh, no. Tyler Maine was used twice. Tyler Maine and Rob Zombie's yeah, series, yeah. Right. Um, so the movie was written by Alan B. McElroy. Um, Alan B. McElroy uh, makes a brief appearance in the film as the state trooper at the ambulance crash site. Um, so if you're looking for the writer, there oh, he is. Oh, I've seen, I've seen bodies thrown 50, 60 feet from a crash site. That right. guy? Right. That's, that's him. He's uncredited in the movie, but he's, oh. that's Alan B. McElroy. He's the writer. Awesome. Awesome. The well, movie. Heck of a job. Oh yeah. The movie was released on October 21st, 1988. It grossed $17.8 million on a budget of only 5 million. So it was definitely profitable, a success. Um, it's the first film in what is called the Thorn Trilogy, uh, followed by Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers in 1989, and then Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers in 1995. Um, it was produced as a response to the failure of Halloween 3. So John Carpenter and Deborah Hill, they were originally approached to direct and produce the film. Um, it was idea like, hey, let's put the band back together and let's bring this back home, get Michael Myers in there, let's do it. Uh, Carpenter, though, he wanted to focus more on the writing. He was like, oh, I'm not interested in directing, but I'll write it. And Deborah Hill, I think, was willing to produce it. Um, 
he actually, Carpenter actually wanted Joe Dante. He thought Joe Dante would make a great director on this. Joe Dante, of course, director of yeah, Gremlins yeah. Um, and sure. many other many other horror films. Uh, Howling, The Howling, Joe Dante directed that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, great director. I'm yeah, sure absolutely. he actually would have. That would have been fine. Yeah, he would have done that a great job. That would have been fine, yeah. Um, so Carpenter teamed up with a, a fellow named Dennis Etchison to create the the first script. Um, this is before McElroy came on board, and the Carpenter Etchison script it uh, it took the the Halloween story into more of a supernatural area. Haddonfield uh, in their story, Haddonfield would have banned Halloween. No Halloween celebration within Haddonfield city limits. And, Makes sense. And the idea was that through suppressing the celebratory nature of Halloween by pushing everything down, the ki- not letting the kids celebrate and the whole bit that by suppressing it, it would actually cause the power of Michael, the, the kind of myth of Michael Myers to grow. And then Michael Myers would sort of all of a sudden poof appear again as basically like a spirit. It would be like his spirit made manifest in physical form. So they banned Halloween to keep Michael Myers away. And in turn, it's the reason he comes okay. back. Right. So replace Michael Myers, the word <laughs> Michael Myers, and replace it with Freddy Krueger. Yep. And you got yourself the plot to Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Right. How did they get rid of Freddy? How did what happened? The town came together, right? <clears throat> and they took away any mention, anything f- visual, anything in the newspapers, anything on video, anything. Nothing, no mention of Freddy Krueger was allowed. Right. And by doing that, and having the curfew and everything, by doing that, they got rid of Freddy. Right all those years yeah yeah it's a so. little it's a little similar it's a little similar well mustafa cod fucking hated it <laughs> mustafa cod was like wait a second i'm gonna give you a bunch of money to bring <laughs> back michael myers and he's gonna be ghost michael myers no fuck that he's flesh and blood michael myers <laughs> so um so basically, once Mustafa Kod was like, no, I hate this script. I want you to write a regular script where he just comes back, figure out a way for him to come back, and he starts killing kids and the whole bit. John Carpenter was like, okay, that's cool, but I'm out. Thanks. <laughs> well, he just didn't want to do the same movie. Right, you know? right. And so, um, uh, what's his name? Dennis Etchison, he, he received a call. One day, like he, he comes up with a whole script. He's working with John Carpenter. He sends it off, you know, and um, Deborah Hill calls him up one day and uh, and says, Dennis, um, I just want you to know that John and I have sold our interest in the title Halloween. And unfortunately, your script was not part of the deal. That's quote unquote. <laughs> that's a, that's how Dennis Etchison found out he was he was out. <laughs> So then that's when uh, Mustafa Kod hired uh, Dwight Little. 
Dwight Little had directed an episode of Freddy's Nightmares, the television show, um, and he had three films prior to Halloween 4, um, and he actually would eventually make a name for himself directing action films. Um, Dwight Little directed Marked for Death. He directed <gasps> Rapid Fire, right? With, with Brandon Lee? With Brandon Lee, right? You did not know anything anything about this. So did you? so so so. <laughs> this makes a lot of sense. So this makes a ton of sense. Halloween four. Uh, you can probably tell by my uh, the giddiness in my voice is one of my favorite movies ever. And then you just listed two of my other favorite <laughs> movies that I always watch all the time, which is silly because Rapid Fire is a very small. Uh, it wasn't. Did it? ever get to the theaters it came out in 1993 we were 14 no we i believe rapid was fire the was straight to video. that went right to video right so that went straight to video and i watched that movie over and over and over and over again because the martial arts in that movie that brandon lee oh so cool just yeah yeah if, yeah, if rap- you have a chance go back and watch um it's if you wanted to see a version of brandon lee um, doing more of what his father did, go watch Rapid Fire. Everybody talks about The Crow, obviously, because all the, the tragedy that happened there. And that was his probably his best acting performance and his best movie. But Rapid Fire was his best martial arts movie. And it, so if you want to check that out, you know, I, I highly recommend and, it. And you don't get The Crow without Rapid Fire because Rapid Fire, even though it didn't come out in theaters... Um, it was straight to video, but it got noticed. Like when you put Bruce Lee's son in a film, it gets mm-hmm. noticed. And it was all over cable at the time. Somehow Showdown in Little Tokyo didn't get noticed with, no, uh, no, Dolph, Showdown. with Dolph Lundgren. Hey, listen, you put Br- <laughs> you put Bruce Lee's son in a movie with Dolph Lundgren and it doesn't get noticed? <laughs> But so Rapid Fire was the one that for producers like was like, oh, oh, Bruce Lee's kid can actually like act. He can do the whole bit. Yeah. OK, let's put him in some films. Um, and then uh, Dwight Little was also the executive producer on John Woo's movie Broken Arrow with Christian Slater and John Travolta. So and to be honest, like when you when I found that out and then I thought back to Halloween four. And, and this series, you can almost kind of see, like, there there's, I mean, there's a definite, like, marked difference between these movies and John Carpenter working on Halloween, the first film, and then even that influence with Rick Rosenthal working on Halloween 2. Um, you get to these movies, and they are more action-packed. There's more, there's like the rooftop scene and there's like, there's chases, there's, you know, there's things going on that are still right, horror film, but he, it's more action. There's more action it, to it. Right. He wasn't going for the tension buildup that, that John Carpenter was going for in the, in the first, you know, couple movies. They, or, or well, the first movie. Um, that's not really what he was doing. He wanted to put Michael Myers in there and he wanted to have Michael Myers go to work. Right. So, um, and he did a lot of fun things in this, in this movie and he did a lot of non John Carpenter things in this movie. And I am perfectly fine with all of it. 
um, because it the way it turned out, it, it just turned out so well. Um, but he did keep the music, you know, he did keep the Halloween feel to it. So he he still tied all that together right. and, and he, kept it feeling like Halloween. Yeah, yeah because he, he basically, Dwight Little very correctly like looked at the first two films and was like okay what are the things the core things that work about these movies and he worked that in there the stuff with like keeping michael kind of very yes he's a flesh and blood killer but he's very phantom like he's always on the periphery on the edges he's stalking he's watching and then he strikes you know Mm -hmm. he lures people in you know to traps and mm. and all this kind of stuff. And so he basically was like, okay, I'm going to take that stuff, but then I'm going to do what I do. And I'm going to have this be like, you know he's coming. Like there's, I mean, it's called The Return of Michael Myers. You know he's coming. Right. The the tension is going to be from, are, are, is anyone going to get away? And so I'm going to keep him coming and coming and coming and coming. And it's just, will they get away? Are they going to survive? Who's going to survive? How many? You know, um, I I th- I think, um, but part of it too for me um, is it it refocuses on, and we'll talk about it, but it refocuses on Michael and Loomis. Yeah, so not Michael and Laurie, Michael and Loomis, and what I get is it's, it's a, it's, it's like a race, right? Because he, you know, Michael escapes and Loomis finds out about it on the, on the phone, right? He's, he's in Hoffman's office and, you know, he can hear it over the phone that, that Michael's escaped. So they, they rush, you know, out to, to follow him and to track him down. And he's right again, like right from the beginning, he's got to go after him. And, and now it's a race, you know, he's, yeah. he's got to get to the sheriff and he's got to, get to hit get to all these kids before and jamie before michael does and yeah he he hopes he's he hopes he's early but he always feels like he's two steps behind right but it's this big battle between kind of michael and loomis and and they they it it happens like they they meet each other before they even get to haddonfield yeah right they're at the gas station and he goes into the diner section that's that's at the at the garage um and uh and he sees michael in there and they you know michael escapes and the place blows up and he barely survives and it's it's on you know it's it's the war between loomis and michael yeah because we we talk about in the other in, in these other films like loomis feeling like he's failing and he you know can i kill him can i stop this and it's like he gets his they basically dwight little sets it up in the beginning he gets his shot you know and then after that, Michael takes a huge lead on him, and now he's playing catch up through the rest of the film. And it's more, and and this is more Van Helsing to Dracula. Right, right. This is where they can right? kind of shift that that emotion, that guilt, that that sense of responsibility that we talked about that Loomis had in the in the original. That's that Frankenstein character, right? That. <clears throat> that that sense of guilt and responsibility that he has to know now <clears throat> excuse me go out and stop the monster whereas this one is more he's more the the michael myers hunter you know right. he's he's michael's escaped and he's the only one that can stop him and now he's going to go out and stop him and that's that that 
Van Helsing. So that they, what you just said, they they kind of made that switch. Dwight Little made that switch. Right. So um, on February 25th, 1988, Alan B. McElroy gets hired on to write the script. So this, this is, he gets hired on. So at the time, um, many people probably don't think about this. Um, we're currently right now in a writer's strike in Hollywood. Um, in 1988, Wait. there was a writer's strike. Um, so he gets hired on 11 days before the writers have said that they're going to walk out and go on strike if the talks don't come to an agreement. So, <laughs> so he had 10 days? He had, he had 11 days. He had 11 days to write this script before he would have had to back out to support the, the rest of the guild. Um, and so, yeah, the, it was February 25th. The writer's strike was to start on March 7th. Um, but Alan McElroy was actually a Halloween fan. And so he zipped through writing this. He, it was like, it came easy. Um, he, he already kind of knew like where he wanted to go. We get to, so we're centering now in this film on a child, you know, Dwight Little wants to raise the stakes. Alan McElroy wants to raise the stakes. And Michael is now hunting uh, a little kid. He's supposed to be hunting uh, his niece. And so Dwight Little took the perspective that, you know, everybody has kind of argued, like, why is he doing this and, and the whole bit. And, of course, the Thorn trilogy builds on that concept of why, trying to answer those questions. But Dwight Little took the perspective that Michael pursues Jamie as a means of connecting with her. Because um, he wanted to get into, like, the kind of the mind of a psychopath. So it's like he wants to connect with this little girl that he's related to but he has no social capacity to interact with her, so he does the only thing he understands, and that's violence. He uses violence like he can't help himself. He, he wants to be with her in some way to be a family, but the only thing he understands is murder. Mm. Mm. So, yeah. so that's what Dwight Little kind of wanted to subtextually work into the interactions. Um, Donald Pleasance, he was happy to come back as Sam Loomis. Um, the only thing he wanted, he wanted to see the final script before he would commit. He wanted to make sure it was going to be good. <laughs> so he wanted, he wanted to have like kind of not approval, but he was like, the only way I'm going to agree is if you let me read the script first. I guess he didn't do that for five and six, but we'll talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, Ellie Cornell, that plays Rachel, the adoptive sister, um, she actually auditioned uh, Halloween 4 and Nightmare on Elm Street 4 were auditioning at the same exact time. And she auditioned... Was she for, auditioning for Alice? She auditioned for both films. Yep. Did she audition for Alice? Yes. Yes, as the main character for, for Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. Um, the Dream Master. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, um, uh, either, uh, I can't remember. Um, it was either my first or my second horror movie ever. My first one was Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, The Dream Warriors. Okay. That was the first, that was the first movie that I remember watching that then kept me up, that gave me, gave me nightmares. Um, so she actually, she chose 
like when the calls came in, she was like, I want to do Halloween four. She chose to do Halloween four over nightmare on Elm street part four. I think probably a good choice. <laughs> you don't agree. <laughs> I do. I do. I, I, I like nightmare on Elm street four. <laughs> you don't. Don't it, tell me you don't like Nightmare on Elm Street. I don't. Or I, don't, I don't want to. I don't want to get into Nightmare on Elm Street. No, right I now, just. But I just don't think it lives up to uh, the kind of what they did with. It doesn't live up three. to three. Yeah. No. 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 Th- three is not. is by far a better film. So anyway, that's just. Yeah, my I, I, I'm just asking you if you liked it. I didn't ask you to. I didn't want you to rank it. You didn't have to rank it amongst. The franchise, just tell me if you liked it or not. Good. I like it. It's okay. I like it okay. All right, fine. I'll, I'll, okay, okay. And then we'll stop because we're supposed to be talking about Halloween 4. Um, when you watch a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Yeah. You're sitting around. It's Sunday. It's you're whatever. You're just sitting around. You want to watch I'm a in Nightmare my on undies. Elm Street movie. You just watched Nightmare on Elm Street 3 two days ago, so you don't want to rewatch that. You know, which one? What are you doing? Oh, like, am I going to go right to 4, or am I going to watch something else? Yeah. Um, If I I wanted to go from 3 to another movie um, within within the series, like, sequentially... And don't say the original. Don't be dumb. No, no, no. If I if I if I didn't want to watch three, I would probably just watch three. You I just, just watched watch three. three. So you, right. I would probably actually watch part two because I have a different appre- I have a different appreciation for that now no, than I used to. No. Oh, why? Because of the gay angle. <laughs> No, Be- I mean because of the docu- because of the documentary, because of Mark it, Patton and the I documentary it, it, and the gay angle and all of that. It yes, might it might be why. it might be, but I actually I actually before do, you think about it before you watch the documentary. Before that, I probably would have gone to like Freddy versus Jason. Well, we're just gonna have to disagree on. on <laughs> we'll get one. we'll get into it when we get. Why? Because four is that low for you? It's down that far. Yeah, it's just okay. It's just okay in my book. Good. Good I would grief. even that. That's when he spears the the pizza, and you know, there all the souls are in the meatballs, <laughs> and he's like, oh, don't be such a meatball." <laughs> Uh, Classic. I, I just I can't help it. Best lines and horror. I can't. Oh, help come it. on. <laughs> so, All right, back to Halloween. Four. Anywho, anywho, <laughs> the uh, the movie was filmed in and around Salt Lake City, Utah. Um, it was filmed in March, so Dwight Little had to take a page from John Carpenter, and they imported leaves. And I uh, have no idea what the weather is like in Utah in March. <laughs> Well, the leaves were green, so he, they had to import oh, dried okay. leaves, and okay. um, and if like they don't, you don't especially because a lot of the film does take place at night, 
as opposed to like there's only a very short in the beginning you see some daytime stuff but there is a lot of green shrubbery around the houses and things like that right. so they they had to import some leaves and any um they didn't have they couldn't get pumpkins so they had to go buy like squash and paint it orange and kind of make oh, okay. it appear as if like just in, you know vaguely in the background you see orange gourd looking right. <laughs> objects right right um now to get into George P Wilbur a little bit um George P Wilbur actually wore hockey pads under the jumpsuit because he wanted to look more imposing when he, yeah it, you can you can kind of see it the shoulders especially the, the yeah he's he's his shoulders are way up yeah he looks and like he's his, shrugging all the time right exactly and then his chest is kind of it's very large it's like expanded a little bit so i don't i think it's when he's walking on the roof you can really you yeah. can kind of really see it um and apparently he took his mask off a lot on set because he wanted daniel harris to be like okay yep. like to see him as like a right. person and he would always yeah. be like you know talking to her and asking her right. you know, how she was and if make sure okay. she's okay yeah yeah yeah, so he was very aware I'm working with a kid. Right. Um, let's see. Oh, the the night shoots were so cold that Donald Pleasance wore a hat for many scenes. And apparently um, some of those scenes were not filmed with the entire crew. So they were filming other scenes where he doesn't have the hat. And they didn't discover it for like... I guess it took him a little bit to, to watch the dailies or whatever. And so he's got a hat over here and then <laughs> the other thing he doesn't. So they had to reshoot like six hours of footage. <laughs> oh my goodness. Because he had a hat on part of the time. Um, the school scene. So, well, before I get into that, the, uh, the score was by Alan Hoarth, who had assisted on the music for Halloween 2 and Halloween 3. So that's why the music in this is back to kind of the Carpenter, you know, it's part of the Carpenter thing. I say back to, we had talked about H2O and Resurrection where they use so little of it um, that it was noticeable. Right. But in, in Halloween Part 4, like they're keeping that theme, that thematic mm -hmm. music. Mm -hmm. um, critics hated the film, but audiences didn't care. Michael Myers was back. Everybody went and saw it. It did great in the theater, did great on video. Everybody loved this movie. Um, you know, and it might not be somebody's favorite now, but for people our age, like, I mean, to almost a person, you ask them about Halloween 4 and how, even Halloween 5, and they're like, oh, yeah, those are freaking great. So let's start talking about just the film. Um, and the mm. first... I'll start us off because this was the note I was going to read before. So we want to talk about, because like we talked about with the other films, Michael Myers. Did they get Michael Myers right? How did Dwight Little do? Dwight Little um, almost didn't... <sighs> See, I don't know if it was Dwight Little or George P. Wilbur, and this is the mask is different. It's noticeably different. So let's talk. We, we always talk about those two things, right? You have to get the mask right and you have to move the right way. So 
first of all, the mask is much, much different. Uh, it no longer really resembles even close to uh, William Shatner in any way, right? Uh, you can't look at it and go, okay, there's William Shatner. It is just a plain face. Yeah. And it looks like a cheaper version of the old mask. That's what it looks like. It looks it's like a if, reproduced version. It's as if yeah. they went to the Halloween store. In store and bought, and yeah, bought man, a Michael Myers mask. mask. Right, right, right. So, and that's kind of, and in the movie, right, he breaks into the general store and he grabs that, the mask. Um, so it, it's almost like a cheaper version. So you would think automatically audiences would just be like, you know, I'm out. Because, uh, and on the, in every poster and every DVD cover you ever saw of Halloween 4, what's the mask on the, on the cover? It's the Shatner mask. <laughs> it's the Shatner mask, right. Yeah. And then you watch the movie and it's not, right? So um, so this was almost a failure. But I think, number one, it still had that. It still was able to have this kind of dead, emotionless, scary, ghost-like feel to the mask. So that's important. Um, so they pulled it off that way. And um, had the, the blacked out eyes. It was, but the eyes were blacked out. Um, they focused on, they made sure like in every scene, you don't even come close to seeing his eyes. Um, and then, you know, they don't give him eyebrows, right? Everything is still completely whited out and the hair is back and everything. It's not spiky or anything like that. It looks, it's, it's passable. And then on on the other hand, George P. Wilbur uh, changes the way that Michael moves in this movie. Michael is faster moving. He moves more like a normal guy. He's just stalking. Uh, so he's going to move a little slower. But uh, And he's taking his time uh, in the first and second movie. But he will move when he has to. He, he can. He's not so stiff. In this one, George P. Wilbur plays him a lot stiffer, right? A lot more like that Frankenstein yeah. uh, thing that we talked about before, but somehow still pulls it off. Um, so he moves different than Nick Castle, and the mask is a lot different. So somehow it still works great. And I think that has uh, everything to do with... Uh, George P. Wilbur. I, I I think that the way he did it, it, it just he moved scary. He he was still very stalkerish and and, and he's very scary. And I guess you got to give Dwight Little the credit in certain shots. I think you know, I think there's I think it's like a like a the two things together because the way yeah Dwight I shouldn't have said that I, I I think I think Dwight Little obviously the way Dwight had. Little. Shows yeah. Michael Myers the way he cuts right. the scenes together. It yep. makes up for the small things that George P. Wilbur kind of misses on, you know. Yeah, and it it creates yep. the same feeling that you got from 1978. Right. You know. Yeah, and and he and you know, because um, I want to make sure I give Dwight Little his due here because I love the way he directed this movie. Um, he still did do those shots where, like, what, what's our favorite shot of Michael in the movie, right? It's when the uh, deputy 
is in the rocking chair and down the hallway. Yeah, Rachel, just Rachel off comes to the up left. to talk to him. Rachel comes yep. up to talk to him and she's completely in framed in the doorway. Completely and but you see her walk up into the doorway and she has a little back and forth with the deputy and he, you know, mm-hmm. makes a little, you know, snide, snarky comment or whatever, you know, just brushing her off like I'm I'm important. I'm rocking in the chair waiting for Michael Myers. And then she well, walks. Well, it's just like it, it won't be long. Yeah. So, like, just go chill. Yeah. Just relax. And then she up. walks away. And where there was nothing down the hallway, now you just see the face. Right. Just uh, just off to the left. And, and then it's, it just it's slowly, very small. It just slowly disappears. disappears. <laughs> right. And but that is that's that's a tie to the first one. That's that Ex- yep. where is he and and, and, and he's always watching, always th- he's always right. there. Like he's always somewhere. You know? Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, so, um, so they, they, they did, they did, they got Michael, I guess we'll say it, certainly a combination between, you know, George Wilbur and, and Dwight Little and how they were able to pull it off, but they, they pulled it off. I mean, they really did. Now, is there a scene that you can think of where something doesn't look right about the mask at all. In in the school? In the school. He's blonde? He's blonde. (laughs) All of a sudden, David Bowie. Hey, Jamie, dude! All of a sudden, David Bowie is attacking Loomis. (laughs) Oh, I was thinking more California Surfer. Well, and that's because the school scene was shot um, for whatever reason they thought let's just get a the captain kirk mask you know because that was the the original model let's get a captain kirk mask and they said but we're not gonna like we're just gonna paint it white like that's all we're gonna do is just paint the face white so they didn't they didn't realize that like um that on the original, they had actually put more work into it than just painting the face. Um, they opened the eyes. They opened the um, eyes up. They they they, they teased cut, the hair back. Well, yeah, they, then they cut part of the hair off. They took off the sideburns. Yeah, right, they took the sideburns. And they actually colored the hair a little darker. They actually spray right. painted the hair a little bit. So they had done mm-hmm. some things. Well, mm-hmm. they thought they could just get a new Captain Kirk mask, paint it white, and put it in the movie. Bada bing, bada boom, you got Michael Myers. And, of course, the hair's not the right color, and they filmed it. They filmed all those scenes in the school, and they watched them back, and they were like, oh, shit. (laughs) This does not look right. It's very quick, though. In the movie, it's very quick, because he pops out, he grabs Loomis, and he, like, tosses him, and, and and then that's it, right? I think you don't see the blonde mask again. No, no, but and so what happened was they they then when they it didn't look right they tried to customize it. they tried to like okay let's make it try and make it work and whatever they did it still looked like shit and mm. so after that they bought a new mask and they reshot any of the scenes that they had already done they bought a new mask did what they needed to do to it. like they're like all right guys now we got to we got to do it right 
and they reshot some of those scenes, but the ori- the original um, that cut of the altercation in the school it's still in that scene. That was the only part that they didn't reshoot in any way. Yeah. And so yeah, so there is that moment Oops. where he jumps in and you're like, wait, he's fucking blonde. What? <laughs> What the fuck happened? Did Michael stop at the hairdresser right. <laughs> before he came to the school? Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, like like we said, this this movie's a little more action packed. Um, there's a lot of gunfire. <laughs> there's a ton of gunfire. Well, there. Well, what, do you want? Well, wait a second. We can't get into Earl just yet. Okay. We we, we got plenty of time. So. Um, I thought that it would actually be a good idea. Uh, we talked um, last week, and Jen said it would be a good idea to have the movie on while <laughs> while we're doing this. So I just turned it on, but it's the the opening scene. So we have to talk about this, right? Oh, the, yeah, yeah. So let's yeah. So let's, so let's we get back talk into about. It. So, so real quick, um, we, are you okay? Yeah, I just stumbled about a little bit there. Oh, boy. Um, no, one of the, I don't know if I would call it a complaint, but when we talked about it, uh, H2O and, and uh, Resurrection and stuff like that, and we talked about how you didn't, they moved away from the classic uh, pumpkin opening the jack-o'-lantern opening right yeah yeah now this movie does not have the jack-o'-lantern opening as well right but it's one of the best openings of the franchise so it can be done you don't need necessarily to have that jack-o'-lantern opening um that was just something that cool that john carpenter did um Dwight Little decided to go a completely different route and he just opened the movie at sunset in the fall with all of these classic images Scarecrows. of Halloween yep. in in a farm like setting, very spooky, very eerie. It's like the beginning of the movie, the sun is going down and on you the audience member and now it's going to be michael myers is coming yeah so it's just a very very cool and creative way of opening the movie without just he could easily just gone back throw you know throw the uh the john carpenter theme in there have the the pumpkin opening you know pan into it yada 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 do the whole thing but he decided he was going to put some effort into the opening. And this is one of the charms of the movie. Yeah. It's so it really this is a, sets the this feeling. is a real, it does. It's a, it's a big part of the movie and it's such a quick thing. It's only, I don't know, 20 seconds long or whatever it is, or 30 seconds long. Yeah. But it really does. Like you said, it sets the tone of the movie and it, it gives you that classic hollow, like you're, like you're, like it's Halloween, right? Like it gives you that feeling like it is Halloween. And, uh, and he did that without, like I said, resorting to anything anybody's done before him. This is a complete creation on Dwight Little. And then 
it goes into our favorite oh, yeah. opening. Okay. <laughs> our sure. favorite type of opening to any Halloween movie. <laughs> Where it's three Security tertiary car. characters. <laughs> three tertiary, yep, yep. And they're like, and so it's the, these two doctors come into the hospital and they get met. Well, I don't by... even know that they're doctors. I think they're they're just medical assistants or some paramedic. Yeah, they're not. I don't think they're doctors. They're in white coats, so I just assume they're doctors. in white coats. Sure. <laughs> and they get met by because it's like a, it's a, it's actually like a a um, like a psychiatric uh, jail or something like a psychiatric facility for criminally right. insane people. The criminally insane. And they get met by the security guard who proceeds to give them the entire backstory of <laughs> Michael Myers and Halloween. Yeah, this one. Yeah, this one you're picking up tonight. Oh, oh, just thinking about him gives me the willies. Yeah, welcome to hell. In 19, and then he just jumps into it. Yeah, back in 63, he killed his sister. You might then, you might as well have him fifteen years, and he just did he did the whole thing. You might as well have the, the two the two doctors coming up to the window, going, "Yes, we're here to pick up Michael Myers," and he should have just come around a corner, going, "Did somebody say Michael Myers?" <laughs> now he it looks like he's so uh, he's being transferred from Ridgemont Sanitarium. Yeah, he's in a completely yeah, he's in a completely different place. They're going to take him. Back to Smith's Grove because he's been catatonic for so long that they feel he's no longer a danger. Like he he, he's not waking up. That's what they think. He's not waking up. Right. So we're going to transport him back to a lower level facility. He doesn't need to be here on lockdown like this. Because and and Dwight Little they pick it up very well. Like at the end of part two, he's been burned. He's been you know. Burn, all burned up so when you first see him he's in the like the gauze wraps and everything like completely wrapped up mm-hmm. which i just thought of this is like we talked about the comparisons between michael myers and loomis being frankenstein and victor frankenstein or frankenstein's monster and victor frankenstein right. and then george p wilbur playing him a little stiffer a little more monster like and when they get him He's wrapped up like Frankenstein. He's wrapped up in the gauze and everything like mm-hmm. Frankenstein. Flat on the table. Yeah. And yeah. they, and, and mm-hmm. like, like Frankenstein, you know, Frankenstein thinks it didn't work. Oh, it must not have worked. And, right. but then all of a sudden he's moving around. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And they're going to find out what happens when Michael Myers moves around. <laughs> well, you fuck around, you find out. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely uh, one of uh, one of the best openings, even with the you know Basil exposition. <laughs> it is because um, the 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 actor that did it, uh, he's been in a ton of stuff too. He's a yeah. he's another B movie actor uh, that that growing up we've seen him in in a ton of stuff. Yeah, you never so really know was, his name, but he's in everything. No, but yeah, yeah, and 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 um, you know him doing it kind of there's there's a bit of a charm to it. So um, I did like how they the the sanitarium that he's at this Ridgemont Sanitarium. They show Dwight Little shows uh, the front of the sanitarium, and of course it's the classic like 
has all the pillars and it's this old building and you know it's and he and he has the lightning flashing you know on it you yeah. know it's yeah it's so a dark it's, and, it's, it's a dark and stormy night well it's 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 a dark and stormy night it's a it's a classic horror you know uh and and he just and he threw it in there i think for fun because a lot of this movie is that a lot of this movie is a lot it's a lot of fun yeah you know so and then yeah. um and then you you know uh that's when the, you then get introduced to Daniel Harris and uh, as Jamie Lloyd and right. Daniel Harris um I'll tell you something for being a little kid like holy shit like sh- did she work her ass off in this series of films yeah um well the first two well <laughs> you know now now my wife Jenny, she she hates <laughs> these films, but primarily it's because of uh, Daniel Harris when she starts like crying and screaming and you know that breaks my heart. I can't I can't believe that I, I can't believe that. My Jenny has no sympathy. <laughs> she has no sympathy. How do you not? She's an eight year old child. <laughs> This eight-year-old child has lost her mother, who also happens to be Jamie Lee Curtis, by the way. <laughs> it's a bad joke. But, you know, um, I don't know how you... Do, I don't understand why she's so whiny. She's, <laughs> do but, you think uh, she's whiny? I, I don't know. Jenny just doesn't like it. Mm. But uh, but Daniel Harris, of course, you know, she, she kind of made her name doing these uh, three films... And then um, she's gone on, you know. She's she's done two, other things. Two, two, two films. <laughs> but she's not in six. I'm sorry. She's you know well, Jamie true. Lloyd. The character's in six. She's not in six. That's Daniel true. Harris isn't. In that's six. true. They couldn't get. They couldn't. You'll find that in your little research thing that you do there. Um, but she uh, asked for more money, and they said no. Yeah. So. so. But she she goes on to uh, be big in the horror world. She ends up uh, being in Rob Zombie's Halloween films, um, <clears throat> right? But now playing Annie Brackett, now playing uh, one of the right. friends. Um, but then she's also appeared in two of the Hatchet films. The Hatchet films, um, yeah. Which people are crazy for the Hatchet films. Um, because of the fact that they're a throwback to just hardcore balls out gory yep. slasher flicks, you know, yep. mut- mutant yep. in a swamp. You have the you have the right you have the the singular killer that keeps coming back no matter no matter what you do to him. Yep, Victor Crowley. Yep, and right? so she's is that, yeah, is yeah Victor Crowley. Yep, she's been in yeah. so she's been in two of those films, and so she is you know pretty much considered uh, horror royalty. You know when they talk about um, Scream Queens now, you know, Daniel Harris gets mentioned in with Jamie Lee Curtis and, you know, sure. all of the, all of the other, uh, classic Scream Queens. Um, yeah. and I know she does a lot of the conventions. Um, so, um, our friend, uh, Aaron, I believe met her, um, at one of the conventions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that's one of the things that differentiates the horror community from uh, some other communities is the 
the stars in the horror community seem to be uh, super willing to make themselves accessible. Like we know from from Twitter and Instagram to conventions, um, they they horror stars seem to uh, appreciate their fans more than than most. They they know that the the fans put the food on their table, not you know. I, I'm, I'm right. Yeah. I, I mean, for a horror movie actor, um, I'm I'm not sure they get paid a ton of money, you know, per movie, right? They they need to be working actors. They need to be working all the time, like working regular. And they know that they can go to these conventions and they, they know they can make quite a bit of money because the horror fans are going to show up. Yeah. That's what's great about horror fans. They show up, you know. They they really love their stars, I think more than even any maybe any other genre. Yeah, and and you know even and the, and the lower level stars too, not just the Jamie Lee Curtises, you know, and 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 you know big movie stars like that. You know your Danielle Harris's and your you know Scout Comptons and your Ellie Cornells and stuff like that that can go to uh, conventions and and you know, make quite a bit of, of money. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I know from uh, being kind of in the Twitter horror community and everything that, you know, uh, there's stuff where they, on their own time, they're doing like watch parties with fans, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I remember uh, being in on a watch party with uh, watching chopping mall with Barbara Crampton and Kelly Maroney and awesome yeah Yeah. and they're like tweeting back and forth like and they're totally into it they're totally down with it and they you know they always at the end of it they told everyone hey we appreciate this so much you know thank you so much for for hanging out with us today and you know it was like it was all reciprocal you know the fans were saying oh my god we love you thank you and they were saying hey we love you too thank you so much yeah you know thanks absolutely for still loving chopping mall right (laughs) So. I love chopping mall. I do love chopping mall. <laughs> but so um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about um, about Loomis. So mm. so Loomis in in this film, you know, we talk about him making that move toward taking on more Van Helsing than Victor Frankenstein, and maybe even a little touch of of Ahab. You know that he he becomes right. And you see that in the development. It's not necessarily in this film, but as he develops mm-hmm. through the the series of the films in the Thorn Trilogy. Especially in five. Especially in five. He becomes a... Five, he's even more obsessed. Yes. Like, he's just absolutely obsessed. In this movie, he's... You're right. He's getting there. He's... You know, at this point, he has shot Michael six times. Um, and then set him on fire. Yeah. <laughs> and he still didn't die. And he took, you know, the burns himself. So Loomis was in that explosion. So he, he was willing to die to kill this guy. Oh yeah. And, and he's still not dead. So you're now you're, now you're going to start to get angrier you're going to start getting a little crazier. 
and and now you're going to get more obsessed with what what will do it what what do we have to do you know to 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 finally rid this earth of michael myers right and when and when he finds out that they've that they've decided that someone has just decided that michael myers is no longer a threat and does not need to be completely locked down and locked away without checking with him at all without asking him about anything when he finds that out he is pissed yes and um you know and he it's sort of like one of these things where they want him to just just forget about it they they want him to retire they want him to retire the the his boss at the hospital you know makes the comment at one point in the film like he he'll he'd either want him to retire or just die yeah um they want to be rid of loomis they want to be rid of the specter of michael myers and all this kind of stuff and loomis makes the point you know he every day he looks in the mirror he can't forget right you know um he he literally it, it's they do a they do a, a a cool thing with that in the fact that I mean yes in the in the end of two he is blown up in the hospital room along with Michael, but the fact that when they have him come back he has the burn scars and everything, that's mm-hmm. the idea is like now my outside is like my inside like inside my like I am fucking scarred from what I've been through with this guy, and now the outside reflects that as well. That's that's deep, man. I know, right? That, that's that's deep, Kyle. That's that's that bachelor's degree in theater <laughs> coming into play. <laughs> so the crash the the crash site scene is on. Yeah, and there's so, there's Alan McElroy. <laughs> right. So can you and so he's the writer, right? Yep. Okay, so he wrote these words. Yep. So he can't find, they can't find Michael, right? Anywhere, right? Right, he's not there. He's They're not at the crash site. At the, there's, there's bodies. So to explain the away the fact that they can't find Michael, the response from the police officer is, hell, I've seen people thrown 50, 60 feet from a crash site. <laughs> right. Right. Okay, 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 okay. Right. Now, that they're in a pretty open area. Yeah, it's, right? a, yeah, it's under not a bridge. A ton in a river. Of tri- it's under a bridge near at a river, but there's a lot of, you know, like there's not a lot of trees and they're it's not just, like in the middle of the woods. It's all just scrub. It's pretty. It's pretty open. You can see far. You can see just from the crash site a hell of a lot further than 50 or 60 feet. So how does that explain away the fact that they can't find him? <laughs> you know, yeah, just just go just go 61 feet. Just like if I'm Loomis, I'm like, okay, well, look 50 feet fucking that way, asshole. Do you see him? No. Okay, let's go over here. Here's 50, 60 feet. Do you see him? No? Okay. And just yeah. keep going. You know what I mean? Is that a, is that a, am I being picky? 
Well, the, am I... it's, it's just the fact that, that Michael Myers, they, they can find all four of the other bodies. Right. But they can't find Michael. And there's right. and there seems to be no no expedience, no like, hey, we might have a problem here. They all want to just be like, ah, he's dead. He's just dead. <laughs> because... Hell, I've seen people thrown 50, 60 <laughs> feet from a crash site. I don't mean to keep harping on this, Kyle, but I've, it's a big hole, I think. Uh, I, unless you can explain this to me differently. No, I mean, you know, it's it's one of those funny standout moments that, yeah, it, it's like, you know, but they do have to build the idea that, that Loomis is, is a, a man alone in the wilderness. Oh, uh, <laughs> sorry. He just walked into the diner section. Okay. There's all the there's all the pictures of Lincoln on the wall. Yeah, yeah, you can clearly see Lincoln Did, on the wall behind him. No, 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 but there's like 10 pictures of Lincoln behind him on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Did they put 10 pictures of Lincoln up on the wall so that you know it's Illinois? I think so. I think so you don't think it's Utah. <laughs> like Hey Dwight, how do you how how are we gonna make this place look like we're in Illinois? When well, it's we're the land of Lincoln, right? <laughs> Get me ten pictures of Lincoln stat, <laughs> and he just put them up all over the wall. That's hilarious. But uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it's it, it, you know the the whole thing with Loomis building towards uh, you know you're beginning to see he's willing to go now to lengths that no one else will go. Like, you know, he, he's prepared. Like he, the minute he sees the, the dead, uh, mechanic, his guns out because yep. he immediately thinks Michael's here. And now mm -hmm. he's like, you know, and he sees the dead waitress and he's like, yep. Michael's here. Gun comes out. I'm ready to go. Right. You know, he's, he does not want to let this happen again. But, of course, this is leading towards uh, towards our favorite scene. You know, they have this first confrontation, and there's the big explosion, and Loomis is left without a vehicle. And, you know, it's one of these things where he narrowly escapes again. You know, and now Michael escapes and now he's he's got to hoof it after this, right. and it's going to lead into uh, your favorite scene yep. with uh, with Sayer. Reverend Sayer. Now, of course, before that, we're going to see uh, Jamie get bullied at school. Yeah, you know she she's not living her best life. She's adopted. <laughs> her mom's dead. Kids and, are cruel, and the kids at school are cruel. They all know who uh, her uncle is. It's not a your mystery. mommy is a mummy, <laughs> says one kid. <laughs> like ha ha, your mom's dead. <laughs> yeah, but but, uh, but so it we is nineteen eighty eight. So, so we don't go scene by scene. You know, let's uh, let's skip ahead to uh, Loomis on the road. And he meets. Well, yeah. He gets picked up by Reverend Sarah. This is after he gets um, 
he gets <laughs> bullied by some shitty teenagers. Yep. And he gets picked up by Reverend Sayer. And Reverend Sayer, uh, the truck that he pulls up in is just great. He's got the Amen license plate on the front. It's just an old, run-down, like, Ford truck. From the 40s? Yeah, he sneezes you know, like... He sneezes in his hand and then offers to shake hands. <laughs> yep. <laughs> He's got which, Jesus stickers which everywhere. Which Loomis does, right? Yeah, he shakes his hand, because I think Loomis has gloves on still. Oh, yeah, he has gloves on. But, yeah, Sayer looks, takes one look at him, and, and what does he say, Brad? Oh, you're a pilgrim. Uh, he says you're ch- uh-huh. you're chasing it, ain't you're chasing- you? <laughs> well, well, wait a hold on a second, because he says because he, oh wait no. After he says, um, you can't kill a damnation, Mister. Don't die like a man dies. And then he says, I know that, Mister Sayer. And he goes, Oh, you're a pilgrim. I seen it there in the dust. I seen it clear as blue suede shoes. <laughs> boobies and blue and blue suede shoes. Boobies and boobies and blue suede shoes. <laughs> yeah, and and the reason the reason Reverend Sayer is so captivating is mm. because he picks him up. He's dressed like a priest. He has a collar. He is a priest, but the clothes. Like well, the clothes are obviously like torn. Like sure. he yep. he has not been keeping his clothes nice. He's not been mending them. His clothes uh-huh. are torn. He's he's disheveled. His hair is. It's been a while since he's actually been in church, probably, or bathed, <laughs> or or bathed in general. Yep, sure. Um, and uh, and yeah, he's you know, and then he goes on this whole thing about about chasing. Well, the- when you're fighting evil, do you stop and take a shower? Well, that's the thing is, is he's talking about like going, like stopping the apocalypse, fighting evil, chasing evil, damnation and all this stuff. He's come close a time or two. <laughs> right, right. Too damn close. <laughs> and, and yeah, you, you, it just immediately makes you wonder what has this guy been up to? What has he I want, seen? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> the one of the biggest misses in horror history has to be the fact that they never made a spin-off movie of Reverend Sayer. Like <laughs> going I want there to be I want this to be in a universe where he is actually fighting the apocalypse. Oh, absolutely. Like he goes off and he's like, you know, he's he goes back into the pit, uh, the the bed of the pickup, and he's got like this trunk. Oh yeah, and pull, he just pulls back like a canvas. All... Pulls back Absolute. a canvas tarp, <laughs> of course, and it has to be a dusty one. Yeah. Right? It, it, and he just has all these demon fighting tools and crosses, there, and stakes, absolutely, and you like know. you know, yep, absolutely, yeah. because something shows up in the road or something, and he's like, you know, all right. Yeah, Reverend Reverend yeah chainsaw an old rusty chainsaw. Yeah, yeah. Reverend Jackson P. Sayer uh, should be like a strange mix between 
you know, Blade and Ash from Evil Dead. <laughs> like, he should be. <laughs> I I think horror fans would absolutely eat that movie up. Oh yeah, yeah. If you did, if you did a Reverend Jackson P. Sayer movie, and 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 I told you like my ideal scene would be like it begins with him like dropping Loomis off in Haddonfield. Oh, going, absolutely. You have to tie it, right? Yeah. You got to tie it together. Going down the road, you know, sure. and, and and then you know the next day in some little podunk town, and going into some diner. You know, and he sits down at the bar because he never he never gets a booth or a table. He always sits at the bar right. in the diner, and he orders you know a, a coffee and like the cherry pie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, wait a minute. Is this Twin Peaks or something? <laughs> like... And he and he sits down there and uh, and he just asks the waitress, "You ever see Damnation?" <laughs> yeah. And she says, "No." And he goes. Well, you're about to, and then he turns to the guy down at the other end of the the counter, and he just blows his head off or something, and it turns out to be a demon. Yeah, yeah, tentacles come yeah. out of the guy's neck, and every all hell breaks loose. Yeah, then... yep, yep, <laughs> yeah. We got to write this thing. Yep, yep. Now, of course, uh, one of the other great moments here is Loomis going and recruiting. Uh, our favorite sheriff, Sheriff Ben Meeker. Yep, Ben Meeker. Because Ben Meeker, number one, uh, uh, Bo Star, like he is a badass. Like he's a, right. Okay. Okay. So so he's he he looks the part. Right. right. Yeah. Obviously, he looks the part. He's a tall, kind of statuesque kind of guy. Like he's a big guy. He's grizzled. And, uh, he's got the deep voice. <laughs> Yep, absolutely. He just screams cop. And in this movie, he plays that. He plays it up as that hard, grizzled kind of guy. And that's obviously. And then they try to build his story a little bit when Earl in the bar is talking about um, Ben Meeker. You know, when they when they close down. Um, oh, they order the curfew. Yeah, they order the curfew and, and Earl gets pissed. And, is and like, he gets mad. And he doesn't understand why uh, Meeker would do something like that. It must be something really serious. So now we need to all pile it in our Jeeps and our pickup trucks with our yeah. 30-06s. Yeah, he, gra- he grabs all his regulars. Station. He grabs all the bar flies that are bellied up. And, yep. <laughs> and they're all going to go down to the sheriff's office and find out what the hell is they're going ten, on. Yep. They're all 10 <laughs> beers deep. <laughs> yeah, they're all drunk. <laughs> the, the game, the game ended long time ago, so they're not watching that anymore. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, Ben Ben Meeker is uh, is is great. He he hands down. You know, I mean, you got a soft spot for Sheriff Brackett, but Sheriff Brackett, Sheriff Brackett, Ben Meeker knows what fucking pot smells like. <laughs> <laughs> right, but here's. Here's why I actually think Ben Meeker is more effective because in the movie, it's really only Loomis to stop Michael. Yeah. But it isn't. You actually go, well, this guy 
might actually have a shot. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it's it's almost like he plays such he plays the character in such a version of like Clint Eastwood that he's almost like an indestructible sheriff. Like he's and he doesn't and you know we'll talk about it in five. He's in five. Yeah. He survives this movie and he survives five. Yeah. So you don't and then they don't talk about him in six. So like Sheriff Meeker lived. Oh know? yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he just lost it. He too. lost the election. He eventually lost right. re-election, right. and he wasn't the right. sheriff anymore. <laughs> right. But you actually thought that if it came down to it, that you know, if there was a sheriff in any of these movies that had a shot at Michael, it would it would be. Ben oh Meeker. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sheriff Meeker with his riot gun, you know, right. could take on anybody. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't even think he needs the gun. I just think he needs Jack Johnson and Tom well, O'Leary. You know, to kind of. And, and if you notice, to to kind of flash forward a little bit, um, Dwight Little and Alan McElroy, like they make sure that Ben Meeker is out of the house when Michael finally, because that's the, they all hold up at Sheriff Meeker's house when Michael is on the loose. The whole rest mm-hmm. of the town is locked down. Earl and his guys are out scouring Haddonfield yep. in their pickup trucks. And what? what? <laughs> and what happens? So they all, so, 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 okay. So. <laughs> the girl, um, 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 Jamie. So Jamie and Rachel um, kind of get away. Right. And, right. and they get picked up by, Loomis and Ben Meeker, right? right? They get picked up and you're like, oh, oh, they're safe. Oh, better yet, let's go to the sheriff's house, right? Can't, Michael's not going to mess with, you know, the sheriff. We're with the sheriff. We're in the sheriff's yeah. house. He's got all his guns. We're good. What happens? He immediately leaves. Right, right. And and, and I will say... Well, like, not immediately. He calls for help and yeah. then he leaves. Yeah, and I mean... And then know. Loomis leaves. Well, we we still feel like yes, it, it was the dumbest decision in the world. However, I can somewhat see Ben Meeker's logic because the thing he's afraid of happening happens. Earl and all his bar buddies. Let's talk about it. Let's get into it. End up. Yep. Just shooting some guy. <laughs> who do they Who do they shoot, Kyle? <laughs> What's the guy's name? I forget. With poor Ted Hollister. Ted Hollister. <laughs> yeah. But, 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 but. <laughs> so let's let's play out this scene real. So quick, so right? so yeah. So Ted Hollister, while the entire rest. Of the well, town, what are they doing? What what are they? Yeah. Okay. okay. While the entire rest of the town is on curfew because uh, Ben Meeker has basically like had the the local news station announced like, Hey, shit's going down. You know, this might be kind of like 78, like everybody get home. <laughs> what does right. Ted Hollister do? What? He goes, do? he goes, he goes down to the local park uh-huh. and he's doing something in the bushes. <laughs> and we don't know why is he in the bushes? <laughs> but the bushes are moving. <laughs> So <laughs> Earl and the gang right um see something moving in the bushes and they shoot 
Yeah, they just and they're like it's it's they him, it's Myers. <laughs> It's 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 a really crazy scene all in all because you can cut the scene out and it's it's not really all that important yeah. to the movie, right? It's just they pull up and and they just start shooting. They just they don't even wait to identify. Yeah, anything. one guy they just, just shouts, the, "I saw Myers. <laughs> I seen him. I seen his face." <laughs> and then and then he, and then they start shooting, and <laughs> he's so. He drops, he's in the bushes and he's rattling the bushes and then they shoot. <laughs> and I'm like, is he like, is he, is he, well, we don't have to talk about exactly. <laughs> but Ted Hollister was doing something in those bushes on his own. We're yep. not sure what, but the bushes were moving around sure quite a bit. And yeah, yep. they just blast the shit out of these bushes. And then they go up yep. and they part the bushes and. And they're like, Jesus Christ, it's Ted Hollister. <laughs> you said you saw him. You said you saw Myers. <laughs> you son of a bitch. You said you saw Myers. But so. Yeah, so- I think if you look in the background, you can see like uh, a magazine open, a <laughs> bottle of Smirnoff, and like a candle. <laughs> a candle. And and a whole lot of petroleum jelly, <laughs> right? <laughs> but uh, but yeah, For so the chafing. so that's the thing is that like we may think it's like the dumbest decision, but I can see Dwight Little and Alan McElroy like okay, we need a reason to get Ben Meeker out of the house. So we've now shown you like what he's afraid of happening is happening they just shot some innocent guy like they they all may be up on murder charges after this so (laughs) okay 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 fine so ben meeker is like i gotta he's like there's a bunch of guys out there running around drunk with guns Um, i gotta go out and try and maintain order and so he leaves Mm. but i think the whole reason they want to give him that reason Uh is because the audience being like the energy that Bo Star brings to Sheriff Meeker, the audience is going to be like, if Michael shows up while Ben Meeker's there, Ben Meeker is going to fuck him up. <laughs> and as Ben Meeker ended up fucking him up. Yeah, and yeah. so they got to get Ben Meeker out of the house. The only way this makes any sense is if he's gone, because then Michael right, can just run that house. Because it doesn't really make sense. That he so he does have to leave Jamie and Rachel protected, so he leaves the deputy. So he leaves the deputy to Michael Myers, and he goes after Earl. <laughs> so the sheriff goes after Earl, and leaves the deputy <laughs> to Michael Myers. And the deputy ends up getting bent up like a pretzel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Scott is. Like, I'm not even sure how what. How did he can do be. that? I know. I I have no idea. His arm, his elbows behind his head. His leg is going up underneath his chin, going like up, and you know his foot is up near his head. So yeah. And I will say, but, as much um, as much as I love Ben Meeker, I mean, you can see that he does have a history of questionable decisions. Because when he mm. shows up and his daughter is in nothing but a t-shirt with no bra on and the t-shirt says cops do it by the book. She's in a t-shirt and panties. And does he tell her to go up and put on sweats? 
No. Mm-hmm. She's just walking around the house then with the deputy there, a bunch of people there. The state troopers might show up, and his daughter is just ass out <laughs> making coffee. <laughs> so Ben Meeker may not be totally aware. <laughs> Well, I think she's also the one person that, you know, can get to Ben Meeker <laughs> as his daughter. Well, so and, she, and, I think she actually runs things. You know, well, and they don't, they house. don't give you any backstory, but I mean, if you look at it, like it's just him and his daughter, there's no wife. There's no wife. So yeah, I mean, that relationship may be more of, she takes care of him, you know, and make sure she's the one that like presses his shirts. She's the one that like. You know, right. So dad. he's not gonna he's not gonna go at her. He's gonna go at who's ever trying to get at her. Yeah, and I'm willing to bet that the deputies have probably all been like, you know, summer party over at Ben's house. All the deputies are there, they're cooking out, and here comes Kelly. You better wear sunglasses. Here comes yeah, yeah, here comes Kelly in her swimsuit because she wants so to he work can't on see her your tan. Eyes. And all those deputies know, hey, Kelly's off limits. Because <laughs> Ben will fucking kill you. <laughs> oh, I wasn't even thinking that. Yeah, off. Oh, sure. Absolutely. Um, but uh, you might as well stick your dick in a blender. I mean. <laughs> Ben's going to mortal I mean, combat that. I, I not even like looking at her <laughs> you know you better have your sunglasses on don't even don't even think about even looking at her. <laughs> we are the Nosferatu dudes and don't forget the broadcast is coming from inside the house thanks for listening <laughs> <laughs>